0: Who am I? Why am I here?
1: Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country.
0: I shall not see. And I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term
2: as your president.
0: Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller.
2: We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. and take back the White House. Welcome to Election Shock Therapy. My name is Chris Moore. And here at Bethel University, joining me in my office is...
0: Sam Mulberry. Andy Bramson. And Mitchell Kreml.
2: We have the full compliments day at least for a little while because Sam, do you, do you have a meeting tonight? Do. I do, in fact, <laughs> have a meeting. <laughs> um, unless you're wondering if maybe we've just in. Uh, um Uh, Impertinently scheduled these meetings exactly when Sam has other meetings. Uh, Sam is the director of the Student Support Center here on campus, and so you're sort of at the at the whim and mercy of our students when they schedule meetings uh, for their class. And
3: I told Kristen, I won't obviously name a student's name, but I'm I'm like 99% sure that the student I'm meeting with won't come. Oh, but I have to be there to do my job to (laughs) say I was there, and then I so I might come back for the end of this if I okay. Now you're
0: 100% sure the student won't listen to this podcast.
3: Uh, They won't. They don't know the time we're doing this, and yes. <laughs> they're not listening
2: to this <laughs> So um, it is finals. Well, well, this is the last week of class. Uh, mm-hmm. Tomorrow's the last day of class, and then we have finals next week, gentlemen. Um, what's your final exam like?
0: My final exam? Yeah. I, you... I have three of them to give. Well, really four, <laughs> but two are uh, iterations of the same one. So um, okay. they're going to be it, super tough. Is it tough? It tough? Is it brutal? Not, no, they're not that brutal. Um, I just wrote the comparative one last night, and it's. Okay. I think it's – it's very doable. shouldn't take them a full two hours. So, so that's to good.
3: reward students who are listening, you want to like give them one of the questions?
0: <laughs> do it. Um, I'm, not, I'm do it. already giving them an exam review, so no. Uh,
2: oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. come on. <laughs> trying to incentivize plus, listening plus, to the pop. Plus,
0: that you're assuming that I can remember I a right. question like off, off the top of my head.
2: Exam, going to start with, like, turkey, comma, what's up with that, question mark, <laughs> 10 points.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, so now I have to finish putting together the humanities exam today. So Okay good times.
2: Mitch, what's your your ideologies exam look like? Uh, That exam looks
1: like basically they will have four or five prompts beforehand. And basically these are pretty in-depth prompts. And they won't know which ones will be on the exam, but they'll be... um, a choice of three of them and they'll have to write two essays um during the final okay so so basically yeah so the way the way mm-hmm. i do it is i make it i make the questions very difficult and in depth so they have to do a lot of work to get ready for them but they have them beforehand so okay yep. you know so there's no excuses for not being ready for it and i think the students like that even though it's a lot of work to get ready for it sure you know they at least they know what they're getting into and re- if they if they want to be prepared they can be prepared and it reduces uncertainty which yeah. they like so yeah, yeah. so yep. so i've got that and for the other exam for the intro class. It's mostly IDs and once again an essay. So, okay. and they also they have everything beforehand. So you know we yeah. all know what's we all know what's involved, and they, once we want to be
2: ready, we'll be ready. There you go. That's <laughs> right. If they're not ready, it's on their heads. That's right. So. Yeah. Sam, you spend the most time of anybody uh, cl- uh, building an exam because you run the CBC course, mm-hmm. which several hundred students take at any given time. Yes, so.
3: they've already taken their their final their last exam because right. our final assignment is a. a Essay that they write. So they just got those prompts yesterday. Okay. We had class with them and walked them through it. So,
2: what's the essay this year?
3: It's about uh, making the case why Christianity is opposed to racial oppression. Um, So we read some historical figures, and then they Mm -hmm. need to synthesize thinkers from throughout the course. But the final that I actually enjoy the most is Mm in my – I teach a a full semester intro to liberal arts course. Okay. Um, Usually those are like half semester. You taught a half semester one. I teach a three-credit one for various reasons that goes the whole semester. And the first assignment that they do in the semester is they write a letter to themselves at the end of the semester and then promptly Mm -hmm. forget all about that. So the final, I just tell them, bring something to write with. I give them that letter back, and then they write a letter to themselves at graduation. So mm. every every time I go to graduation, I'm also putting in the students' post office box the letter that they wrote when they were a freshman to mm. themselves. So wow. those are it's yeah, wow. really it's it's fun to like keep track of that stuff and mm-hmm. kind of follow up and get those yeah. into student POs. It's pretty fun. That's, that's pretty fantastic. So, yeah, that's great.
2: Yeah. That's nice. I was I was gonna you know brag about my. Final exam methodology, but no, now mine doesn't take a shine to that at all. <laughs> um, I, teach a, I teach an intro level class that I I've always I I have a I sort of a beautiful room for it. I have a, it has a window that kind of looks over this hillside that leads down to the lake that our campus surrounds. We have a classroom like that? Yeah, wow, that is, it's, really it's, it's nice. the the Gunner. Uh, oh, what's it, what's his name? It's actually named after somebody. It's the. Whoa! Um, oh, I know where that is. I've it's just it's it. the Mike Holmes classroom where he teaches. Oh yes 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 yeah. yes. Oh, yeah, the yeah, CLC one hundred and nine. Yeah, yeah one hundred and nine. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's like some, nice some classically Swedish, it's like Gutter Norquist uh, yeah. classroom or yeah. something <laughs> like that. I not remember exactly what. Not yeah. Grover Norquist. And it's yeah.
0: different. During the summer, it morphs into like an event event like yeah, it's like an, an office yeah. yeah exactly yeah. yeah
2: but i've always t- teased my students that the final example include a physical challenge component for my intro to international relations class mm. and so maybe like maybe some year i'll actually carry that out and set up like an obstacle course on the uh, on the hillside <laughs> and you know you'll have mm. to you know deploy sanctions and then uh, negotiate ne- negotiate a treaty and then get something ratified by the security council and yeah Mm-hmm. all while on a stationary bike or something. Well, yeah, I mean, it'd, it'd be like a biathlon. You'd like yeah. run from station to station kind of thing. Yeah. I like that.
3: Yeah. Can we
0: can we get paddle boards involved as well? On
2: oh, the absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like a canoe of some kind or something, yeah. Yeah. right?
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It sounds kind of like the um, Defense Against the Dark Arts final of Professor Lupin.
2: In, in, um, you know what? Third Harry I, I, would not take, I would not yeah. be unkind to that kind of prayer style Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> like it. My upper-level class, I give them all the questions in advance. I give my like 12 essay questions a week in advance, and then the day of the exam, I roll a dice. And the first two numbers that pop up, that's the exam.
3: Is there any like special rolls on that that they can like get out of the test altogether if they roll like double sixes three times in a row or something? <laughs> um, actually,
2: the one thing I, I allow them to earn over the course of the semester is they can earn the right to roll three times and then pick the two they want. Okay. And uh, they mm. they have earned that this year so. so
3: does each student roll Or does
2: the no, no, no. roll for a class uh, it's is you, you roll
3: for the class
0: I've burn a lot of the final
3: exam period
2: Unfortunately you now only have an hour and 20 minutes to finish <laughs> Exactly <laughs> <laughs> So anyway clearly we have yeah. some We have a little bit of fun and games with our how we plan our final exams And things <laughs> Um hey if you 're still listening after that whole discussion <laughs> uh, take a minute I'll, uh, rate us on iTunes uh, that helps other people find us via face uh, via their algorithm um, and uh, and uh, uh, email us at shock therapy at gmail dot com we 'd love to hear from you we 're sort of winding down the election season mm-hmm. as, as the Trump transition takes hold in the media and takes hold in the political discourse. We're moving past election shock therapy and into something more like governance shock therapy. Um, But we're not going to change the name of this podcast to GST. But we are going to revisit this podcast over the course of uh, over the next year in 2017, but probably not weekly. Mm -hmm. We're probably going to fill in those. This this channel will still have something in it for you every week, but probably won't be EST, although these guys aren't going away. We're going to just bring in some other characters instead. Mm-hmm. And so uh, listen for Sam and I. Next week, we're going to preview a few things that you can be looking forward to. But there
3: will be an EST next week. I think we just decided. Yes. yes. Yep. Yeah.
2: we gonna do one more EST next week talking. Well, we got a few things on the agenda this week. and those things will bleed over next week. And then um,
3: some Christmas wishes, maybe. Ooh. <laughs> maybe. And we should Letters finally hopefully have
0: the Secretary of State. Um,
2: yeah, maybe. We might. This designated. is the big outstanding pick, and I want to talk about that. Yeah, today, Trump so. hinted
0: that it would come this week or next week. So.
2: Who do you think it's going to be, Andy? Um,
0: oh, man, who do I think it's gonna be? I don't know. I have people I hope it's gonna be, but um but yeah, <laughs> there's I don't, a
2: huge list right now. Let me pull it up.
0: I'm still kind of afraid it's gonna be Giuliani because he hasn't gotten anything else, so it's not obvious no. what else he gets. um I think he's a an it would be an unfortunate choice. Uh, he just doesn't seem to me to have the right um the right profile i'm I'm rooting for Mitt Romney. I think he'd bring um, dignity to it. he would bring um, some unity to the party. Um, he and he has the sort of the business cred to work with on the sort of economic side of the secretary of state um, you know, position, which is an increasingly important part of that. So um, that would be my top choice. But I don't I don't think it's going to be him. Can I, can I, I
3: ask had. you a question? You, I mean, you, you said that that um, you talked about Giuliani and said, well, he hasn't gotten anything yet from what we can see based on the other uh, Trump selections thus far. I mean th- that that's a language of yeah. sort of having earned or deserved something for right. the role right. they've played in the the right. campaign. Is is this based on those merits? The, the other the other ones do they <sighs> seem to be?
0: Uh, some no 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 not all the cabinet positions, but um, but he does seem to be wanting to relo- reward the sort of top loyalists. Okay. I mean like uh, and so so what would examples of that be like? Uh, Bannon is the most sure. most obvious one. Ryan's mm-hmm. Priebus. Um, Priebus was also you know pretty loyal. I mean, at a time when the party wanted, to, many people in the party wanted to ditch uh, Trump and find some way out of it. Jeff right, Priebus was pretty loyal. Jeff Sessions, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so there's a few. I mean, the the one who's gotten shafted, but he's gotten shafted all along is Chris Christie, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the thing is, I mean, honestly,
2: but Trump, I think the I, Trump transition, he was legitimately afraid that he might be indicted.
0: Well, right. And mm-hmm. and, he, and even if he's not indicted, yeah. right? I mean, he just looks really, really shady. And so if you're going to make this sort of case that we're here to drain the swamp, I mean, Christy is sort of the ultimate swamp creature, right? So um, <laughs> we don't want him in there. Right?
2: That's the title for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: I always worry about
3: that. Now we have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is it Christy Sorry, Chris. colon the ultimate swamp <laughs> creature? is the ultimate swamp creature. <laughs> <hunter>. Okay, gotcha. <laughs>
1: But yeah, but 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 there are several who have not been rewarded in that way, and one of those mm-hmm. examples would be like Newt Gingrich, right? Um, yeah. Who was another one, and, and I think that was actually his choice, for right? What it sounds he's yeah. said he doesn't want an actual job, job. <laughs> right, he um, wants to
0: just sort of sit there and toss out ideas, right?
1: Like so I think I think yeah. he might have been disappointed he wasn't tapped as as an advisor, but. Um, Or chief strategist? Do you think he still might get? I don't know. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I think he gets some kind of
0: role, whether it's formal or informal. I mean, my guess is what he would have loved to have done is to have been Bannon, like the role that Bannon got. Um, That's probably what he wanted.
2: And Mitch and I want to talk about psychology and the psychology of the president a little bit later on, maybe this podcast and maybe into next week, next week as well. But um, one of the things that's worth pointing out here is that some of the biggest personalities who supported. Donald Trump mm-hmm. are not are the ones who haven't gotten picked so far. Yeah. True. A lot of the True. people who have, I mean, Steve yeah. Bannon has a lot of um, very controversial views, mm-hmm. but he's not a huge personality. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in contrast, Newt Gingrich, big personality. Chris Christie, yep. big personality. True. Giuliani True. The yeah. biggest, the hugest personality. <laughs> yeah. And, America's uh, mayor. You could, I mean, if you want to take a very almost Freudian view of, yep. of Trump, and I don't think I want to do that, you might I'll say, for well, it. he wants to be the biggest cat in the room. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And keeping yeah. these people out of his administration is a way to do that.
0: Yeah, although, yeah. So what's interesting then is to juxtapose that with um, the parade of generals, so to speak, um, that we've seen, which an is an a, actual parade. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> you know, he could he could actually hold a parade with as many generals yeah. as he's named. Let's but, go through this real quick. So. I'm going to do
2: the speed round. Is that okay? All right. See. Do the speed yeah, round. Right. Okay. So. Um, we got uh, we got Flynn, General General Michael Flynn, uh, yes. for National Security Advisor. Ryan Priebus is Chief of Staff. Chief Strategist is Steve Bannon. Those do not require Senate confirmation. The following people do require Senate confirmation. The Director of the EPA was named yesterday. That's Scott Pruitt. He is a former Attorney General from Oklahoma. Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma. yeah, mm-hmm. and is a, as opposed to uh, or fought against some of uh, President Obama's um, and uh, c- climate regulations. Right. General John Kelly, and I'm sorry. Yes, General mm-hmm. John Kelly uh, is for Homeland Security. Right. General James Mattis for Secretary <laughs> of Defense. Mad Dog. Steve Mnuchin for Treasury. I learned how to pronounce that, guys. Yeah, uh, good for you. Uh, Elaine Chow for Transportation. Uh, Health and Human Services is Tom Price. Commerce is Wilbur Ross. Uh, education is Betsy DeVos. The UN Permanent Representative is Nikki Haley. Uh, Housing and Urban Development is Ben Carson, mm-hmm. former Trump uh, primary opponent. Um, and even more recently, someone who said that they didn't want to serve as the head of a federal agency, mm-hmm. but now he is. Uh, CIA is Mike Pompeo. In relation to Ellen Pompeo, Grey's Anatomy, I don't, anything? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, Attorney General is Jeff Sessions. What we're still waiting for, the, the big ticket item, is Secretary of State. And then we also have the Director of National Intelligence, Interior, Agriculture, Labor, Energy, Veterans Affairs, and the U.S. Trade Rep. Right. Yeah. <sighs> okay. I would, if uh, Maybe it's just me, but can, can we focus on, on Secretary of State for a little bit? Yeah, sure. I'm going to give you the whole list. So this is from <laughs> the New York Times. I think some of these people have no chance of becoming Secretary of State. I agree. But this is sort of the broad list. I'm going to give you – there's about 10 names on here. Hold on. John Bolton, former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations under George W. Bush. Bob Corker, former Senator from Tennessee. Rudy Giuliani, former New York Mayor. John Huntsman, former Governor of Utah. And ambassador China under Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zahme uh former UNS2 States ambassador to Afghanistan. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. Joe Manchin, <laughs> senator from West Virginia. David mm-hmm. Petraeus, general David Petraeus, former four-star <laughs> Army general. <laughs> Mitt Romney, 2012 Republican nominee. And maybe the least uh, known name, Rex Tillerson, president and chief executive of ExxonMobil. All right. Nice. That's a... Big list and a really really weird list. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> you've got really moderate uh, folks like John Huntsman on there, right. who was uh, actually ambassador under Obama, former moderate Republican governor of Utah, Mormon. Mm-hmm. Only the second Mormon on the list because you've also got Mitt Romney, right? Yep. General David, General David Petraeus, who would make the fourth general in the Obama or sorry in the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, John, uh, on the on the far right side, folks like John Bolton and Rudy Giuliani, and, and Bob Corker, for that matter, too.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's several different themes emerging yeah. here. Um, do you think Petraeus has a chance to become Secretary of State?
0: Um, yeah. yeah. Given the parade of generals, absolutely. I that just,
2: would, he would make four, yeah. and would probably unlock some kind of, like, buy four, get one free meal. Like <laughs> right, <deal> right. <laughs> he probably get another general That's somewhere.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, the... the The issue with Petraeus, I think – like on the one hand, I really think Petraeus could be a good Secretary of State. I mean he's – the military experience actually could be helpful in that Mm -hmm. regard. Um, He's got a PhD in international relations. He is a very bright, very knowledgeable guy. We know how those Um, people end up, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. International relations, good people, right? So um, – but the other – the problem there, right, the very obvious problem is – that um, Trump just spent you know a year and a half campaigning against Hillary Clinton um, and just reaming her for the fact that she was careless with national security documents, you know mm-hmm. all the email stuff, and we don't need to revisit all that. Even right? though she was, line, she, was it. It. she was never she indicted, she was never
2: indicted. Criticized by yeah. the FBI director for her careless handling. Yeah, she was
0: criticized, but not indicted. There was no evidence to indict her. Um, they revisited again, very famously, right before the election, which was probably very costly to her. And once again, concluded there's <laughs> nothing there to indict her about. Right, and now we're having a serious conversation about a guy who was um, convicted, who was, you know, confessed, who actually pled guilty, <laughs> right, right, to doing the things that Trump has just spent the last year and a half attacking mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. for doing. Um, you know, so that's a that's a problem. Um, and that, to me, ought to be a deal, deal killer. On the other mm-hmm. hand, um, after the last few months, I'm not prepared to say anything's a deal killer or anything's <laughs> out of bounds. I mean, it might happen, right? But it just seems to me like that ought to be a deal
2: killer. Yeah. In some ways, too, uh, Petraeus, Petraeus and um, uh mattis, the Secretary of Defense would make a pair of generals at the two most prominent and probably two most important mm-hmm. uh, leaders in the mm-hmm. cabinet other than the presidency itself right. Secretary of Defense Secretary of State right but they' they 're they're somewhat, they're somewhat similar and somewhat different in terms of their approach both to military and also yeah. to governmental policy. Mattis is famously a hard nosed hard lined realist um, who is willing to um, is one who uses military force, but also recognizes the importance of diplomacy. Petraeus, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. on the other hand, has been more of a progressive thinker on military doctrine. Right. He famously helped co-author the new military counterinsurgency manual, mm-hmm. and uh, was central to changing how the Bush administration handled uh, the, for, the 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 fallout of the war in, Af- war in Iraq, mm-hmm. and then uh, subsequently mm-hmm. the war in Afghanistan as well. All right. So uh attitudinally, I think they're quite different, mm-hmm. uh, although ultimately both of them, I think, are very defensible picks if you put aside Petraeus's, uh informational indiscretions. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if it wasn't for that, I would say he's one of the best names on that list. Uh, but because of that, to me, that's just a – that's a big deal, and I especially think that's, given I think, the candidate. I think
2: even as much as, as Trump likes to buck conventional wisdom, yeah. I think this disqualifies him. I don't yeah. think Trump will pick Petraeus.
0: Yeah, I would – I would be surprised for that reason. But on the other hand, he is a general and he's picking a lot of generals. He is. So, Why is that? You know, I guess there's a part of me that looks and says, there's, there's a few things about Donald Trump that remind me a lot of parts of the world that I study. Um, and, <laughs> oh no. Um, yeah. yeah. But and wait, so wait. I, Can you explain a bit what you mean by that? So I, study, I, um, I study African politics, <laughs> particularly West Africa. Um, and so you, you run into a lot of sort of personalistic leaders and a lot of military leaders mm. in there. And, um, Trump feels a lot like that style, right? So it's very personalistic. I mean, it's all about him. You think back to his convention speech, right? And this language, "I alone can fix this," right? Um, you need to kind of trust me. I mean, it was all about sort of tra- putting our trust in him, even though he hasn't outlined any real sort of specific policy mm-hmm. positions. Um, and then, you know, these kind of leaders in again in, in in sort of African history have tended to be very sort of grandiose in style. They wanted to take, sort of take big titles for themselves. They want to have big awards. Um and big, big epaulets, yeah, and, and surround so <laughs> them with sort of people who sort of look grand, right? And so, um, you know, having a bunch of generals who have to sort of do his bidding and you know listen to him and you know go go mm-hmm. do his dirty work and wear these sort of um you know these these grand sort of uh, outfits around him, right? I mean, is I think there's something that
2: that that um, although to be fair, him, they, right? they would not so. be in uniform. all Mattis and uh, Kelly, well, they'll we'll be they'll, they'll be in suits. If, yeah,
0: well, I'm gonna I'm
2: gonna withhold judgment on that, but you're probably no. Right, I mean, but, quite literally, I mean, they're, they're yeah. retired and 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 removed. But are, are, from, are mean, they not allowed to wear it? If, I believe, other than for ceremonial functions, they are not allowed to wear the, their uniform. But,
0: but it would be a simple matter of the president saying all functions are ceremonial, oh, contents,
2: uh, okay. right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, right, right.
0: I mean, like you might be right, and I'm I'm hopeful you're right. I would rather not have the image of the president of the United States surrounded by three or four generals in, at all times in types, uniform. Um, in uniform, but. Yeah, I w- I'm also not ruling that possibility out. I'm intrigued to see what they wear. Um, yeah. That's going to be more interesting, actually, perhaps, than what the First Lady wears, right, is, um, you know, what the what the generals choose to wear.
2: <laughs> Speaking <laughs> um, of someone who is fashion deficient, I am all ultimately <laughs> bewildered by why people care about what the First Lady wears. Yeah, well, I am too, but that's <laughs> I'm a politics nerd. So. <laughs> Mitch, uh, one of the uh, criticisms that's emerged and been debated, and I think rightly so, from this... Uh, from these appointments is that uh, the the um, potential um, wearing down of a barrier between civil and military relations yeah. how concerned should we be that Trump has appointed three possibly four generals to his cabinet uh, well uh, this 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 is a fairly Substantial
1: concern, I think. Uh, I mean, usually, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't necessarily expect there to be uh, a coup, but it sets a dangerous <laughs> precedent, precedent that we um, – that, that essentially the United States after World War II, there's a lot of concern that the military is holding too much sway mm-hmm. um, over the politics of the U.S. And they were actually – you know, one of the laws that is going to have to either be bent um, or mm-hmm. removed here is to allow Mattis to, um, to serve – Right, he, well, may because, get that, he may
2: get that waiver as early as today. By the way, yes,
1: that's absolutely right. So yeah, the um, the house is trying to get it through on the spending measure. So mm-hmm. we'll see if that happens. Um, Fun time, but at any rate, uh, yeah, and 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 those those are real concerns. I mean, essentially, what uh, what you often see is the military um, carries a lot of clout, both in terms of their public image um, and also in terms of just raw lobbying. Um, Mm -hmm. and and then even in voting. And so there's always a concern that you actually lose the civilian um, nature of the government, uh, Mm -hmm. which is um, crucial. I mean, basically, that you don't want uh, a government that's run uh, on force. You want a government that's Mm -hmm. run for and by the interests of the people that are being governed. Um, And that's that's an essential difference. I mean, that the United States has tried to preserve for Mm -hmm. um, pretty much since its beginning. I mean, basically, George Washington was, you know, the military was willing to follow him and say, you know, we want you to be um, something more um, than what you are. sense, you know, he famously stepped aside from power, mm-hmm. uh, stayed away, didn't want to take that over. And so we have a long tradition here in the U.S. going all the way back to the founding um, that you are very cautious about how much power you give to the military um, over the government. Mm-hmm. And uh, potentially Trump is violating uh, you know those norms, which he often does. But that's that's mm-hmm. a dangerous precedent because it basically, you know, as Andy said, in other parts mm-hmm. of the world, uh, the military is one of the largest threats um, mm-hmm. to the ba- to the civilian interests of of the people, and even in the U.S. here, you know, we see that um, sometimes where the military actually, um, you know, through their lobbying and things like that, manage to um, obtain a lot of benefits and you know mm-hmm. engage in spending that isn't necessarily in the best interests of the rest of the nation and things mm-hmm. like that,
2: and so. Uh, my students are learning about this semester. Sometimes that you what know. happens uh, in spite of the military. Right. Happen, well, military. that's true, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: but there's also uh, and, and, then, and then there's also the question of and this is sort of a question that maybe you guys are better equipped to, to, to debate. But um, there's been a there's been a question of whether the U.S. has become um, in some ways held hostage to the agenda of the military and having mm-hmm. um, the military at, at the levels that we have sort of in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And that essentially after the Cold War, um, you know, the military became this extremely large thing that was basically looking for a purpose um, you know we yep. had all this buildup mm-hmm. and suddenly mm-hmm. there's no massive enemy uh, to, to justify their existence um, and so they've come up with enemies you know they've said oh you know we have these enemies right. in the Middle East oh right. we have these enemies um, you know in in, in the Pacific uh, things like that and so yep. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know and, and and I again this isn't mm-hmm. necessarily my expertise on terms of the international relations side of things but um, it sure does look like um, there's a lot that that goes into the military that you know, hasn't necessarily benefited the regular American citizen. And one thing,
0: I mean, and Chris is probably, you're definitely better qualified to talk about these military issues, but one other thing I'll add that just always sort of intrigues me as a citizen right is the degree to which the military and the spending we put on the military is so sacrosanct right i mean so mm-hmm. it's so difficult for anyone to talk about cutting the military at all right i mean you, you cut the military it, at are all. are you
2: not supporting the troops i am not yeah <laughs> i mean apparently right
0: that's the exactly the rhetoric you get thrown at you yeah, and exactly. you want to make some little cuts and all of a sudden like you know apparently no one's going to have um you know anything mm-hmm. in the military and our military is going to be weakened I and mean, trump used this language during the you know the campaign as if right. our military is weak and when you look at the the facts this is just um, patently false I mean like we outspend right. the next is it
2: Chris is, is the number about 10 countries we spend more than the next 10 countries in the, we, we spend more on our military than anyone else China spends yeah. the next amount we spend more than four times what China spends yeah. on their military Exactly. we spend more than the next 10 countries combined, combined Yeah. And our yeah. United States combined with its allies spend more than the rest of the world combined yeah
0: Right. So, I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, th- this idea that we're, you know, to cut the military is uh, at all, right, is sort of dangerous to national security is just wrong. Right. I mean, we could cut the military spending in half. And to Chris's point, we would still be outspending our next closest competitor by two to one. Right. Yes. Um, so, you know, that's that's the kind of spending we put in there. That doesn't mean we should necessarily cut it in half. I'm not saying that I am not a military expert either. And I don't know. But I think it's important to note, like to say that we can't cut it at all is just kind of ridiculous. Um, but that's. You know, that's the position military has in society. So to back to the original question, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is why it becomes a concern, too, when you, you put, you know, not only does the military already have this really privileged position, but now you give them the political positions, too, mm-hmm. um, in some really important spots. I mean, Homeland yes. Security, defense, and possibly um, state, right? I mean, these are big, as well as, of course, National Security Advisor. Um, you know, if if they get state, then they have basically all the relevant foreign policy advisory positions unless you yes. consider— yep. Ambassador to the UN really really important and I would say that's secondary. Um, so and
2: one can't one doesn't imagine that Nikki Haley is going to stand up against the generals.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, you just can't see Nikki Haley going toe to toe with you know Mad not, dog. Not, not, and not because prayers. she would want
2: not because she wants to and can't, but because she's she doesn't want to. I think she her views largely agree with that. Well, right, and and also she
0: doesn't have. Let's be honest. I mean, Nikki Haley's I think very capable and I think she'll do a good job at UN. But she simply doesn't have the foreign policy chops of um, the the generals Correct. that we're talking about. Right? She's she is new to that realm. And so it's going to make it hard for her to, you know, sort of fight those battles, even if she wanted to. And I don't think she does.
2: I'm going to take a slightly opposite opinion of you guys. I think okay. in general, that is a good thing that we have a, a, um, a barrier between civil military relations in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, Samuel Huntington has written about this 35 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we've been thinking about it a lot since then, too. Mm-hmm. That said, if you look over the course of American history, um, we've only had a little over forty presidents, and about a tenth of them have been generals. Mm-hmm. Washington was, William Henry Harris, or uh, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. William Henry Harrison, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, Zachary um, Taylor, Zachary Taylor, Jackson, Good, Andrew Jackson. Yeah, so, so more so than a tenth, So yeah. more than more than ten percent have yeah. been have been generals, and that's been fine. Now, the other thing to consider here is, <laughs> um, since the post World War II era, American military. Force in the world has grown dramatically and remained at a high level. Mm-hmm. And so, the only person who was a general and also was commander in chief during the time of American military ascendancy in the world was Dwight Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. Since that time, we went through a whole series of presidents who had military experience and had mm-hmm. military rank. So, what, all the way from John Kennedy, all the way through George H. W. Bush, all of those presidents, every one of them, either served in World War II or attempted to serve in World War II. Right. Thinking about Jimmy Carter there for a second, and um, Reagan too he didn't serve. I think he was he made movies for. Correct. Good, and point, and good point. Good point. Right. Yeah, that's that's fair. But he was. I think for he Reagan. had a medical
0: reason he couldn't. Or right.
2: Yeah. Um, and then and, and that was the big knock against Bill Clinton. Ultimately, mm-hmm. was that he hadn't. Um, they didn't serve in World War <laughs> Two. Well, no, they did in World War Two. <laughs> so he, 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 he avoided serving in Vietnam. Right. He did. And um, to be honest. That was also true of Donald Trump. Although right. no one has made any, uh, it was, that was not even yeah. an issue. Fascinating. That's true. It, was, yeah. it hasn't
0: even come up. Yeah, but yeah.
2: well, we've gotten kind of used to that.
0: Honestly, I mean, like right. maybe Bill Clinton did Donald Trump a favor in this regard, right? Quite possibly. Trump between Clinton, Bush, and Obama. I mean, none of them have really, you know. I mean, Bush had what Bush had international, international service, experience, but, but yeah. you know, none of them have served in the sort of you know on the front lines. Sort of. Correct.
2: So I think all, all that to say is I'm, my my opposite opinion. I think of yours is that. I really think that Americans have been inculcated enough to understand that there is a close relationship between the presidency and the military, Mm -hmm. that a lot of our presidents have had military experience. A lot of them were generals, in fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think, I'm not as concerned about that as maybe as perhaps the two of you are. I would be more concerned if the military was attempting to play more of a formal role in politics. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. They're lobbyists. Mm -hmm. But I don't see them attempting, I, I see the military being more respectful of the civil military divide. And more respective of, of um, mm-hmm. orders from civilian commanders in chief, then uh, um, and that. So, so, from that perspective, I'm, I'm fairly sanguine mm-hmm. about uh, the, the the likelihood of the military sort of uh, grinding down democracy in the United States.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I, I generally agree that yeah it's I just I, I think the, like the thing is I would add it like is sort of the, this list of concerns and you know, why why does he feel like he needs to surround himself with. These kind of people. And it feels to me like it's some kind of affirmation of Trump more than sort of choosing the best available. Yeah, because he seems to me like a a guy with a a pretty fragile ego, honestly, um, who really needs to be affirmed. And it's affirming to have people. With these military credentials, it, okay, it feels to me like there's something going on there. I mean, I'm not the political psychologist in the room, so I don't want to go too far down that path because yeah. I'm not sure I can defend what I'm saying. But I, at the same time, that's I just it leaves me vaguely uneasy, even though I kind of agree in theory with you that we have pretty robust institutions in that regard, and it's probably going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm still left with this sort of vague feeling of
2: unease,
1: yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest concern there, too, is Mattis, I mean, Mm -hmm. given that he's, you know, Mm -hmm. basically just retired. Correct. um, Mm -hmm. That's uh, what we talked
2: about just a moment ago, is that Mattis needs a waiver to allow him to be Secretary of Defense, because there is a rule in place that says you cannot be Secretary of Defense until you've been retired from the military for seven years, and he's only been retired for about... Two, two, and
1: actually that uh, that that seven years was just reduced in two thousand eight. It used to be ten years, mm, okay. um, and so even so, even saying seven years is actually a concession. Um, and so yeah, I think that uh, combined with the other generals um, raises some raises some questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: I um, want to bring up one other thing. You, my students were reading this article, well, because I made them uh, this semester. <laughs> Just because um, your students are so good. <laughs> but, James, but James Fallows wrote a piece for The Atlantic uh, last winter uh, mm-hmm. where he called the United States a chicken hawk nation. And, uh, chicken, um, and this brings back, to me, at least, memories of Looney Tunes um, and the chicken hawk <laughs> and the foghorn and leghorn. But uh, the idea of a chicken hog is, a nation is that uh, we are more than willing to engage in aggressive military action abroad as long as right. someone else is fighting the war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as As the American population has grown and as more and more of us, uh, and as, as our military has been able to remain relatively small, relative to the size of the population, right. far fewer of us than ever before directly interact with family members who are in the military. hmm as a consequence, um, because less of us are invested in, the, in 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 war in a direct mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. we're more willing to have somebody else fight it. Mm-hmm. And we do have a very large, well-funded, technologically superior um, military that has great respect in our society. Seventy-five percent mm-hmm. of Americans have a very positive opinion of the American uh, of the American military. Seven mm-hmm. percent have a very positive opinion of Congress. <laughs> <laughs> so, from that perspective, it doesn't surprise me that Trump is bringing in generals. They mm-hmm. automatically command respect. Yeah. I right. think the generals he's selected are particularly skilled and thoughtful and well-educated, and I think that they have shown good, good administrative capacity, at least within the military. Now, managing a federal bureaucracy is a very different matter, right. and I have a feeling that Madison in particular is going to be very frustrated with the inefficiencies <laughs> of the Defense Department. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, see, I, I can imagine reasons why Trump would, would rely on generals beyond simply uh, his own ego. Mm-hmm. I think in particular, this is a way to claim that you are draining the swamp, mm-hmm. for example.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I hope you're right. I mean, uh, I would like to be wrong on this.
2: So <laughs> it would be better for the country. So if it's not Petraeus at uh, State, is it going to be Mitt Romney?
0: I don't know. I just, I, much as I would like it to be Mitt Romney, I'm just not convinced that Trump is really going to put Somebody who I mean, not only opposed him. Right. But opposed him to the very last moment. Right. I mean, and most through so. the election yeah. and said some really harsh things. I mean, and, and to be fair to him, I mean, like you need to have a good trust in your secretary of state. And that that does just seem like a wow. That, that, that would seem very magnanimous if he did that. And that would surprise me with Trump um, that he would have that degree of magnanimity. I think Romney would be a very good choice. For a lot of reasons. He's a good administrator. He's got the, the sort of business savvy to do this job well. He's got the great kind of personality for state. He would balance out the other sort of foreign policy choices pretty well. Um, but I just, I would be kind of surprised if he went that that route.
2: I think if he did, it would signal that Trump is fundamentally uh, disinvested in foreign policy. Mm-hmm. That Romney's the kind of pick you would make if you wanted to. Uh, kind of, kind of tune out foreign policy and mm-hmm. just focus on domestic matters, mm-hmm. and um, that was sort of the illusion that um, uh, John Kasich gave us midway mm-hmm. through the the election process during the mm-hmm. general election, when um, supposedly he was contacted by one of Trump's children and offered the VP role and offered that he would be in charge of foreign policy and be mm-hmm. in charge of domestic policy, and when when <laughs> Kasich allegedly asked. Uh, what? Well, what? What is Donald Trump going to be in charge of? And they said making America great again. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is sort of you know he was going to be <laughs> the, you know the rhetorician chief or the tweeter in chief. Right. Um, right. and uh, that leave leave for, leave policy cr- uh, um, creation to others. Right. If, if Romney gets picked, I think that's that's sort of the signal from state.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and and not to sort of harp on this, but. Like, I do think that's what Trump is going to try to do, right? I mean, he's already signaled like he's not even probably going to stay in the White House all the time. He wants to go around and give speeches, hold rallies, in short, to keep campaigning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the fun bit. And not so much to is govern. Is it really though? Do you think he has? That's I think he enjoys it. Teasing, yeah, I think he enjoys it. I mean, again, I think it's, yeah. you know, I come back to that. I think he's, he likes the ego boost and hearing, cheering crowds does that. Um, governing is hard work and I, you know, I think that that's, um, Something he's, he's probably going to delegate. And that's mm-hmm. the other reason it does concern me with the generals, right? Because I'm, I'm just worried that these are people who are not just going to be, you know, sort of generals in the way that a general would have been in the government of a Bush or an Obama, uh, but that they're going to have a lot more discretionary power if he's just off, you know, doing rallies and, quote, unquote, making America great again. Sure. Um, so that's what be interesting. But I agree. I mean, I think Romney and Romney would be a good choice if he wants to do that, if mm-hmm. he wants to just sort of yield – foreign policy to another. Um, so I, I hope it's Romney. I'm, I'm rooting for Romney, but
2: we'll see. There's several names on here which would be... Oh, sorry, Mitch, go ahead. Um, uh, there's some names on here that would be a stark departure from his other picks. Romney would be one of them. John Huntsman would be another. I don't think it's likely to be John Huntsman. I don't um, either,
0: although he would also be a very fine mm-hmm. pick. I mean, I think he would do a good job at State. Um, and Bob Corker would be fine. I think he would be very solid. Yes,
2: more in um, keeping with some of Trump's other picks, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: He would be a... Yeah, he's probably the more... He's a he's a plausible compromise choice if because right. the, the sort of inside word has been that there's been a big fight among Trump's uh, advisors about Sir Romney versus Giuliani, and so one well, obvious option would well, be clearly uh, Kellyanne
2: Conway choice. already already laid out on national TV saying that uh, putting Mitt Romney as Secretary of State would be an insult to Trump's voters. Um,
0: right, although to to govern well as a president, you probably need to insult some of your voters because <laughs> you have to sort of broaden your. Your base, especially when you really only won forty six percent of the vote, um, which is where Trump finds himself, right? So,
2: hey, um, speaking of forty six percent of the vote, can I bring up our friend Chris Garrett? You can bring up our friend Chris <laughs> yeah. Um So, Chris Garrett, who who blogs at uh, the pious, uh, the uh, the anxious, uh, <laughs> what? It's the anxious bench, the anxious bench, and the pious school. I was like bench the pious, <laughs> <schoolman>. <laughs> like, the the pious, pious. what? <laughs>
0: The pious Virginian. Yeah, well, it is, only well, temporarily. He is,
2: he is a pious Virginian, and he's, he's temporarily <laughs> rusticated to Virginia, right, um, where he right. is uh, on sabbatical. But he'll be rejoining us in the in the spring. But he can't he can't sit still, and so he decided to look at evangelical voting behavior amongst college students. I'm going to I'm going to read this from Chris's blog. Uh, you can find this at piatusschoolman.com. He looked at uh, several different uh, evangelical universities. Uh, well, actually, what he did was he looked at the voting districts that those evangelical universities are seated in. Right. So, presumably, if the students have residency and they're registered to vote, they voted where their college is, is located. This is a particularly true at Liberty University, where Lynchburg, Virginia, created a separate voting district just for Liberty. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm about to tell you for Liberty's vote is literally how their campus residents voted, mm-hmm. which presumably is, is is entirely made up of students. Um, 85.8 percent of people in that district voted for Trump 4.4% voted for Clinton uh, and 10.2% voted for somebody else. So Trump did really, really, really well amongst Liberty students. Not surprising. Not surprising. He actually <laughs> spoke there yeah. um, and uh, Liberty b- well bills itself him. as the evangelical yep. Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And do you have issues with that as a Notre Dame grad? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, as a, and as a Baylor grad as well. Baylor's, oh, a good
0: lot, point. Baylor's a lot closer to the evangelical Notre Dame than Liberty. Um
2: uh, Bethel University is located in Arden Hills P two. That's the that's mm-hmm. the district. Um, we uh, now, again, admittedly, that's not just Bethel; that is the surrounding area as well. But it, at Bethel, um, Trump got forty two point three percent of the vote, not just a little bit below his national average. Mm-hmm. Clinton got forty two point eight percent of the vote, so she beat him by half a percentage point. Uh, at Bethel University. No. Well, in, in the precinct we're in, right? In it's precinct, not all In us. the precinct we're in. And that's yeah. clearly the methodological issue here. So, right. Right. I guess, Mitch, can we make anything of this? Does this show us that evangelical voters are more diverse than we might have expected, or is something else going on here?
1: Well, I mean, again, I mean, and all Chris is claiming is about about Chris, Chris Garrett <laughs> is yes. claiming it's about, uh, is, is about is uh, about evangelical students, uh, because, of course, right. from the exit polling, it uh, looks mm-hmm. like at least even among evangelicals who voted, um, which, you know, some mm-hmm. people have been making arguments that a lot of evangelicals stayed home. Right. Um, right. I don't want to necessarily talk about that as much. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, amongst those who voted, you know, Trump got about 81 percent of uh, of their votes. And so the argument mm-hmm. is, well, if we look at these numbers, if we look at the precincts where there are christian colleges um it looks like the undergraduates right. um at these colleges actually didn't vote and in, in those numbers unless you're looking at um you know as chris just noted if you're looking at liberty then they actually exceeded the national evangelical voter average
2: right um liberty um, and I, sh- I should have mentioned chris has several other schools here liberty is by far the outlier in terms of support for right. trump right, right. Yes.
0: but it's also the only place we can tell exactly what their campus exactly he's right. the only precinct i mean the the, the more interesting number I think in Chris Gertz's blog, uh, post was the, the change, right? That he, mm-hmm. he, noted. Right, right. Um, so what was the shift from 2012 with Romney mm-hmm. versus 2016 with Trump? And, and that's where like, for example, um, our, our precinct here in Arden Hills, um, which I, I don't vote in that, this precinct because I live in a different part of the cities, but the precinct that Bethel's in, um, they, you know, they shifted, um, away from the Republican nominee, right? Okay. And, and they shifted in Chris's, Chris sort of followed up with this, um, and said, you know, they, they shifted away a little more dramatically than other neighboring precincts, right? Which might suggest, again, right. there's no way to prove this, right? But, uh, might suggest that this is partly a Bethel effect, mm-hmm. right? That maybe well, they, people here were more likely to go for, either for Hillary or in, in, many cases, and I know there was quite a bit of enthusiasm for this guy, um, for Evan McMullen on campus, point. right? He
2: almost came to campus here. Um, yeah,
0: he, he contacted us about the possibility and then decided he should stay in Utah and try to win that. It's probably a good choice for his bond. His yeah. Well, yeah. It didn't, didn't work out, but yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and what's interesting about the shift, too, is that the state as a whole shifted towards the right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas exactly. here in in this district where, yeah. where Bethel University is, or mm-hmm. uh, not, not district, precinct, where Bethel University is, um, right. it actually shifted towards um, at least away from the Republican. Yeah. Is yeah it, this is the
0: closest we came to voting for the
2: Republican nominee since Reagan in 84. Yeah. No, noting liberty as a possible exception, is it fair to say that Christian evangelical college students are more left than evangelicals in general?
1: I don't know if it's fair to say more left. Yeah, um, I do think, and in some ways, maybe this just reflects national trends. Anyway, with what we saw with Trump, and that is, the more um, education you have, the more co- you know. If you are uh, college educated, uh-huh. you are mm-hmm. much less likely to support Trump. Mm -hmm. And that probably is reflected um, with with the evangelical uh, Mm -hmm. students as well. You know, if Mm -hmm. you're somebody who, um, Mm -hmm. you know, is as as, um, you know, has been pursuing higher education, you're just much less likely to. And I think Chris is probably picking Mm -hmm. up that effect Mm -hmm. as well. And one of the things that he talks about um, a little bit in the blog, too, and this might be. Um, uh, you know just a way to think about the methodology too is he notes that in some of these districts there are other colleges as well mm-hmm. and so they may be also picking right. up this exact right. same effect so on the one hand um, you know I think he's if that interpretation is right then he's correct evangelical college students are going to be much less likely to, to support um, Trump mm-hmm. right. um, but then that also just piggybacks <laughs> mm-hmm. on the much larger trend right. of you know people who have a college who have who have pursue college education are much less likely to support Trump in general. That's a good point. And I
0: also think, to add to Mitch's point, uh, not I would not say that they're more left necessarily, right. but that they were more um, unhappy with the choice of Trump. And so yeah. whereas a lot, of, um, a lot of evangelical voters obviously you know, consolidated behind Trump as sort of better than or less terrible than um, Hillary Clinton... Um, I think a lot of our students were deeply uneasy about that choice. They yeah. felt like it was yeah. too much of a compromise. And so what you see, and Chris points this out in his blog post as well, um, is that in these precincts, you're getting a much higher than the national average vote for third party candidates. Mm-hmm. So people who are right. neither, um, Donald Trump nor Hillary Clinton, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, and I think, I think that, you know, anecdotally, that does seem to fit with conversations I've had with students who were mm-hmm. pretty deeply unhappy. Um, with both choices and just said, yeah. I don't really think I can go for either of them. Right. Some of them probably sat it out, but some of them um, went out and voted for people like Evan McMullen and Gary Johnson. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can
1: just speak. Uh, you know, when I was at the college, you know, college Republican and college Democrat debate here at Bethel, right, um, right. the college Republicans were very publicly <laughs> and obviously uncomfortable um, saying anything positive about Trump. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. so, and so, you know, just, just, again, this is anecdotally, yeah. this is just Bethel yep. and our college Republicans here. Um, but they, yeah. they were obviously, um, uncomfortable with this. In fact, the, right. the way that they stated that they wanted to frame the debate was over policy issues, not the candidates. And that was right. specifically because they felt uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, endorsing or supporting, um, the current Republican nominee.
0: Right. Right, and some, and it's, it was interesting because some of our college Republicans obviously did end up voting for Trump, but there were some of them who you know told me that they were not going to do that. They right. were going to vote for Johnson. They were going to vote for McMullen. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was kind of an interesting election season
2: here, yeah. in, in that regard. Well, if I can sum up what you're saying here a little bit, gentlemen, um, the more evangelical you are, the more likely you were to vote for Trump in this election. Yeah. The more educated you are, the more likely you were to vote for Clinton. So, it's three very educated. Evangelical guys sitting in my office here is, uh, we're kind of weirdos, aren't we? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I guess I should unduly label you as evangelical if you don't want to give well, that label. I think, but. I
1: think, I think we're sort of caught in the crosswinds. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep, there's sort of
2: a political crosswinds. I think that's maybe what, um,
1: Chris's blog is pick, picking mm-hmm. up. Yep. Um, is, is just basically looking at, you know, you have these people who, um, you know, generally wouldn't, wouldn't be supporting Trump, um, on the, uh, given their one demographic, right. but then they also wouldn't be, but then they also would support Trump given their other the demographic. And so, right. uh, they're sort of torn. Um, yeah. and I think, you know, again, as Andy has already said, yeah. and as I said, you know, we've actually yeah. anecdotally, you know, we've witnessed this amongst, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. you know, amongst our students. And, and I mean, you know, I've also witnessed this amongst, uh, my family as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. You go back right. to, you know, and, and once again, in my, my family, most of the people, um, mm-hmm. Would probably classify themselves as evangelical. I don't. know. I don't mm-hmm. want to speak for everybody, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and they would also, you know, by and large, have uh, college education. And so, you know, this mm-hmm. sort of problem there. You know, this mm-hmm. this feeling of of, of tension. Um, I think captured um, mm-hmm. and and I think that also gets back to Trump's large unfavorability ratings in general. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're someone who's not just willing to, um, you know, who's, who's 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 more engaged with politics, which we know mm-hmm. that the more engaged you are, you know, the more college education you have, the Mm -hmm. more likely you are to be engaged with political issues. Um, You're going to be increasingly uncomfortable, I think, with Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that Trump Has done over this election. Whereas, if you just tune in for a little bit, or you just hear a few things, um, you know, if you're if you're just reading, for example, like a report card on what are the stances of the candidates on an issue or something like that, then you're going to be much more likely to say, "Oh, Trump, yeah, of course, you know, I agree with him on these issues." So, whatever, Uh, you know, if you haven't been engaged with what's actually been happening um, and everything, you know, all the stuff that Trump has Mm -hmm. has has said, you're you know, you're going to be much more likely just to vote for
0: him. Yeah, for people like us, I mean, you know, to that point, I think it does feel a little like that moment. Um, in the Princess Bride, right, where they have the sort of the fight to the death, uh, it was sort of not fight to the death, but they're, they're going to, you know, both drink, and he says, you know, "I clearly cannot choose the, the cup in front of me, but I also can't choose the cup in front of you, right?" Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how this election felt, I think, for yeah. people like us is. You know, they, they, were confronted with two unacceptable choices, and then, so then what do you do? And
2: right? as political scientists, we've spent years building up a tolerance to iocane powder. We have. That's <laughs> true. That's the upside of this. That's right. <laughs> or in my case, Keurig coffee. Uh, Ooh. That actually contains iocane powder, as it turns <laughs> out. It may. That's why it's so good. Oh. And why it does not. <laughs>
0: Oof. Why, and why those those things never decomposed in the apparently
2: in the land? Correct. Holes. Apparently, really we build really, a <laughs> we can build a tower to that moon. I feel, with, I feel kind of guilty now. using them, but. All right, so last I can't let this go. So there's a stark difference between the voting behavior apparently at Liberty <laughs> University versus Bethel <laughs> University. Yes, um, thank you for making that point. Well, I mean, no, I, okay, that's not the, that's not the point. The point is this: um, Are we drawing from different pools of students, and therefore? Uh, it's it's just a demographic issue, or mm. does campus culture matter for determining student voting behavior?
0: Um,
2: I
3: would
0: it's, say some of both,
1: probably yeah. both. Yeah. Um. I mean, obviously here at here at Bethel, I mean, there's much. At least I've only mm. been here for for the semester, but I mean, there right. seems to be a, a much larger emphasis on considering, um, you know, uh, the questions of neighbor and who you know how do yeah. we how do we how yeah. do we uh, engage with with people who are um, not who, who are, who are not perhaps from the same demographics mm-hmm. as us, um, from minority communities, um, engaging with, uh, communities who, um, who may, uh, maybe be, uh, less, less privileged, mm-hmm. less ec- mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. economically and culturally. Um, and, uh, you know, from, from, from what we've seen from, from Liberty, that's just not the mm. emphasis. I mm. mean, it's mostly, you know, from, at least yeah. from one description I read, it's basically a parade of, um, you know, basically, right. uh, you know, white, white, high, high Mm -hmm. level Republicans and... Um, you know, you just, that just develops. And, and Ben
2: those. Carson, come on.
1: Okay, and Ben Carson, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that definitely makes it better. Um, so, yeah, I think, that,
0: I think that's right. And I think the, the other thing I would just add is, I mean, I think, you know, the way the upper administration handles things matters, right? Hmm. Um, so at Liberty, you get things like, you know, I mean, Jerry Falwell sort of Jerry Falwell not, Jerry just, was
2: apparently offered a position in the Trump administration. Yeah, supposedly, it down. which
0: is, yeah, a um, Good, good choice on his part there. Um, but I think, you know, it's, in, in Liberty, you got, you know, Falwell introducing Trump very enthusiastically, endorsing him mm-hmm. sort of as this Christian candidate. Um, you've got them in sort front of promoting. Of the Playboy magazine. Was that, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you get the, um, you know, them, you know, like offering con- classes on concealed carry and encouraging people to do this, right? I mean, so you have a very, I mean, a, a administration that's very much right leaning, um, politically, right? Not just sort of not theologically, but in, in sort of the very, core Republican issues, um, they're very enthusiastic and loud about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you contrast that with sort of the way that our, um, our campus culture is, right? You simply would not hear any of our administrators saying anything like that in in so far i mean in general i think they they play it pretty close to the vest which i think is very wise mm-hmm. um insofar as they make any hints about where they're at i would say they hint that they lean the other way mm. um but i think they're very quiet about it which i think again is um yeah. the right way to go about that so you know it's a it's a um it's a very big <laughs> contrast um mm-hmm. and i you know frankly you know regardless of sort of which way i lean i i prefer that the administration not be out there sort of fighting political wars whether they do their job right. Um, it, which is to be you know, leaders of an educational institution. I don't think there's a particularly great advantage to having presidents out there, um, you know, pushing political issues in the way that Jerry Falwell Jr. has done. So I'm personally, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad that our campus culture is different. And that's not a reflection of, you know, me supporting Hillary Clinton or something like that. But just saying, I think we should take a more uh, quieter route um, in mm-hmm. terms of those political positions. So.
2: Well, one way one way to test this is some of our peer institutions, not Liberty, but some of our other uh, Christian colleges, and universities have joined in a movement amongst secular institutions, uh, trying to be, have their their um, campuses declared to be sanctuary campuses. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, which we can go into greater detail if you'd like to do that in a later podcast. Um, but this is clearly in reaction to a perceived threat from the Trump administration right. towards undocumented students and, and undocumented employees. Uh-huh. Um, so far, our institution has not taken action on that, although I think there is a movement uh, building to lobby the administration to do something in that regard. So this will be a test to see mm-hmm. kind of wh- if our administration continues, as you said, Andy, I think correctly so, to play this close to the vest or whether we'll take any kinds of political mm-hmm. stands uh, in relation uh, to presidential politics. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Well, guys, um, here's the thing. We need to talk about Trump's first hundred days. But before we started recording, because we said, we said we would do this in our last podcast. Before we started recording this morning, we both all said, we don't know what to expect the first hundred days. <laughs> we have a few suppositions. Uh, yeah. Once we get these, his candidacy and his candidates in place, we think it's really likely there will be some kind of reworking of Obamacare, yes. at least an attempt to do so, mm-hmm. that will probably be led by Paul Ryan. Yes, um, We think that there will be um, maybe some action taken on immigration. In the mm-hmm. short term. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, this is an administration that hasn't signaled its big foreign, po- its big policy moves up front. Mm-hmm. We kind of knew where Obama was going to go with health care, even during the campaign. Right. In 2008. Um, we had some ideas of what George W. Bush was going to do in 2000. Although 9-11 basically changed, flipped, uh, erased the whole script. Yeah, but we knew a couple things. But he did like the education moves before. Yeah, the No Child Left Behind. He was going to draw from the ABM treaty, which he did. Mm -hmm. But uh, this administration, it's by no means clear Mm -hmm. what's going to happen in the first hundred days.
0: They'll probably nominate a Supreme Court justice. Absolutely, (laughs) (laughs) and that will probably (laughs) be
2: that may be the biggest action in the first hundred days Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. any change to Obamacare will probably take more than the first hundred days. That's my hunch. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, immigration action might happen by presidential order, but. It's not clear that Congress wants to touch immigration right away. Yeah. yeah, we might see a tax cut. That's something that could happen fairly quickly.
0: Yeah, that that could. It yeah, it just it feels very uncertain. I just I don't know, and I wonder if to what extent Congress is going to be able to drive this. I mean, right, because they, if if Trump is um, to our earlier conversation, if he is sort of a passive president in this regard, if he's just sort of interested in vaguely making America great again, mm-hmm. but doesn't want to get into the weeds of policy and governance. Um, that leaves a potential power vacuum that Congress could try to fill. Um, the downside for them, obviously, is, you know, things like their, their 7% approval rating and, thing, and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that they, the, you know, the House Republican caucus in particular hasn't shown itself in the past to be very unified, right? Yeah. Um, and so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if they could fill that vacuum, but they, they seem to at least have an opportunity yep. to do so. And, and again, they haven't really signaled this either because they're kind of tradi- you know, being traditional and waiting to see what the president says. And right. the president isn't really signaling at this point. So point but, yeah. for president-elect. I should
1: say. Yeah, in some ways, what we're seeing is, I mean, Congress has, um, for a long time, s- constantly ceded power to the mm-hmm. president to set the agenda right. um, and to um, you know, basically direct the kind of policy prerogatives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And what you know, we're going to see what happens once that's once that's removed. What mm-hmm. what happens once you no longer have um, that that kind of direction. One other thing I think we might mm-hmm. see in the first hundred days, too, is we're probably as, as we've already mentioned is we're probably going to see um, a fight over at least one or two of uh, Trump's appointments here. Yeah. So we'll probably mm-hmm. see a fight maybe over Mattis, maybe over Jeff Sessions um, and maybe over others. I'm not sure. I think this Sessions is more likely to Mattis. I think yeah, Mattis, Mattis going to have a cakewalk. Maybe we'll see I, the. Uh, so some of the Democrats have already started saber rattling a little bit at least um, yeah so we'll see we'll see who where they decide to make, although of course the e p a director is also um a, a yeah. place where they may go right. and they 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 may decide to try to die on that hill um we'll see yeah,
0: sessions does still seem to be the like if yeah. I had to bet on one that where they they might want to fight the only the only as i as we said before, the only weird thing there is that he's a senator, and that 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 yeah. might get him through yeah. um because he's one of their own, but yeah. otherwise I mean he would be an obvious choice because that's going to be where. In in some ways, Democrats are going to be most concerned, right, is about what the Justice Department does, just given some of the issues we've had in this country and then given Sessions' own history. Right.
1: And what's going to be interesting about this, too, is, you know, Trump's whole campaign centered on uh, he's going to make America great again, which seems to vaguely mean something along the lines of um, (laughs) helping out people who have been. Um, In some ways forgotten, particularly Mm -hmm. um, in rural um, Rust Belt areas. Mm -hmm. Um, And that seems to be sort of the focus. But what's interesting is none of the policy and very few of the advisors and things like that that we've seen actually seem to have uh, their interests as, as a focus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually very difficult to think of, you know, a policy, uh, you know, prescription that Trump has proposed that would actually help this. I mean, he's vaguely tossed around ideas of, you know, raising tariffs or uh, getting out of treaties and things like that. But, you know, none of that has been, you know, particularly fleshed out. Most of those things would be Mm -hmm. extremely disruptive to the economy. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know so it's and, and, and it's difficult to see too many of you know particularly like thinking about the generals who are obviously very probably very committed sure. <laughs> um, to these international treaties um, right. and things like that actually going along with or being okay with you know just tearing up nafta and tearing up uh, you know the all of these other uh, you know all these other
2: i don't of, think nafta yeah. gets torn up i think that's going to be hard hard to get over i think i think currently um negotiating things like the tpp is probably right. dead in the water Yeah. And
0: NAFTA might get renegotiated a bit. I mean, there's been signaling that... Maybe. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's by any means guaranteed, but I could... I could see that
2: happen. As, as it turns out, most of the American economy has already internalized the effects of NAFTA. Right, and renegotiating it, it could be as disruptive as letting you know. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Yeah,
0: I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm just saying I think it, it could happen.
2: Right. So,
1: but all that is to say, you know, it's interesting
2: that given that that was
1: basically the core of his campaign, mm-hmm. um, so far there seems to be nothing um, substantive yeah. um, in terms of what the actual governance will look like. I think. Yeah, I think that's good. Well, and, that, and,
0: the, and the tough thing is, I mean, again, Trump never it d- d- never seems to have had an, a specific idea of what he would do. It was just right. like, I hear you. I'm articulating your concerns. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the tricky th- part about this is, you know, all along a lot of us said, okay, that's fine. Those are legitimate concerns. What are you going to do about it? Right. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a yeah. solution, then you're just raising hopes and that just makes it, you know, the sort of the disappointment right. more bitter. Right. And so, um, I think that's, that's a real concern is, you know, he's got these people excited, like, Oh, somebody finally hurt us. But if you can't do anything about that, that in some ways makes it actually worse than right. not being hurt at all. Right.
1: And especially, and I think just getting back to the appointments too, I mean, I think especially thinking about, you know, and maybe, maybe the last few appointments that he has will reflect some of this more. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll appoint people who, um, seem, you know, maybe some governors or something from, right. from, from Rust Belt States or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, right now it sure doesn't look like that's uh, going to be a particularly large priority for um, for his mm-hmm. first hundred days, or maybe even the entire mm-hmm. time he's in office.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, agreed. So if we can't, w- w- I think, I, and I, I appreciate what you guys have just had to say because you've done better than I would have expected in ability to sort of speculate about likely Trump <laughs> uh, moves in the first hundred days. We just we just don't have a lot of information to go on here. Right. I'm going to punt on Mitch's request to talk about the psychology of this because I think this is the <laughs> other way to go into this: is to say if we if we don't know what the policies are, the next best thing we can look at as political scientists is the personalities of the individuals mm-hmm. involved. We spent a lot of time talking about presidential appointments today, right. but next time we're going to have to turn to what's actually driving Donald Trump. Yeah. That oh might boy. be the the hugest <laughs> question possible uh, for <laughs> it's a this very country. very I mean, big question. administration. Cool. So we'll turn into some of the tools of political psychology and some of the tools of decision-making behavior to see if we can understand what's making Donald Trump tick. But we'll have to do that next time because we all have meetings now. Yes, we do. Including Sam, who's <laughs> still <laughs> not with us. <laughs> On behalf of my colleagues, this is Chris Moore at Bethel University saying thanks for listening to us. As always, you can email us, at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Go Royals.